Hey y'all, Mike S. Alcoholic. Um, yeah, I've known Phil a really, really long time. Um, and uh, so I'll start with my sobriety date. My sobriety date's May 25th, 2015. Um, I have four years and I'm the young people speaker. So like I tried, I wanted to wear like skinny jeans, but this is like the best, the best I could do. Um, <laughs> And um, I got sober when I was 27 years old, so I don't know if that qualifies as young, but I think, like, uh-huh. compared to some of y'all, most of y'all. But I, this is what I know. I know that no matter really when or where or how or what or why I got sober, uh, the feelings that I was feeling that brought me in here and caused me to want to to stick around this program and make this the way of life that I've made it are the exact same feelings that you have or had when you got yourself sober, whatever got you here. Um, so, um, you know, I'm going to talk about what I was like, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. We'll go through all that. Um, and, and you'll kind of get to hear a story. and you, Maybe you'll hear some of yourself in it. Um, and, you know, my hope is that, like, wherever you are in your recovery, like, whatever you know, whatever, whatever you're sitting here tonight, that you'll find something that you can hear and maybe take out of here and that you might leave a little bit changed as a result of being here. Um, not like because of what I say, but because of what you hear um, and like listening you bring to this. So um, that's my invitation. And um, so I grew up in Houston. I'm from Houston originally. Um, I am a son of two parents, which I guess most people are, but my parents both lived and are still married. and. Uh, my parents didn't really drink, um, but they both worked a lot. So um, I remember being in elementary school and you know having to kind of like fight for my parents' attention from like their cell phone, right? It was like they both ran this company and like really all my sort of material needs were ne- met, but a lot of like the emotional and attention needs that I needed weren't so much met. I mean, I never really realized that. It took me like some years sober to realize that like, oh, maybe like, my parents love me absolutely, and they're absolutely doing the best they can, and I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe that and, and know that to be true, but maybe there was some needs that weren't met. That would cause me to, you know, by the time I'm in second grade, always be in the principal's office, um, like every single day. Um, not every other kid was in the principal's office. There was only like a couple chairs in the principal's office. There just wasn't enough space in the principal's office to hold all the students, so something was different about me um, that I had to be my jacket's coming off, uh, that I had to be in there. So um, I, didn't, I didn't know what it was, right? I couldn't quite figure it out. But I remember this. I remember in third grade, Miss Miller, she sat me down one day because her class was being reviewed or like audited by the assistant principal. You know, they do that for teachers, kind of make sure they're keeping things, I guess, within the lines and aren't just filling our heads with crazy stuff. Um, so her class was being audited, and so she sat me down and said, Michael, you know, I need you to just like behave for like today. <laughs> like, um, just, I've got like, you know, Dr. Mallow is coming in, this is the, the AP, the assistant principal, she's coming in, like she's coming to review my class, like I have this whole thing planned. Like I need you just to chill today. Um, because I would talk out of turn and I would want to share and like, you know, I, I think, I don't, you know, I mean, there's all the stuff that, that, that is me and that I've learned to love about me and the things that make me me today that can be both like character defects and really be like my instincts gone totally out of whack. 
but also the parts of me that make me me and give me really a place in the world and allow me to connect with people and impact people in a way that maybe only I can. Um, so there's all that stuff about me, but I kind of got the message that like, man, man, you're a little bit too much and you kind of need to like just chill out and sit in the back seat. So, um, so I did. Um, I did, and and the class went great, and Miss Miller was pleased, and Dr. Mallow, who, whose office I was always in, she was like, whoa, what happened with this kid? Um, but I think what Miss Miller did was that she validated that that you know that yes, I'm not a bad person, like the, what I'm doing is not bad, but um, like we gotta like she kind of validated me, but she says you know we gotta just kind of tamp that down a little bit, so. Really, I think at that moment is when I kind of like learned to kind of play the game. Um, and it really like sets up a course of events in my life that really just start to take me off like a path of, of who I am, who God wants me to be, like, you know, really just a separation, kind of a split within, you know, who I am. So um, I learned that like, you know, I could kind of behave in a different way to either get attention or not get attention um, and really just kind of get the heat off. So. I mean, it was both good because I was no longer in trouble, but there was something missing because there was some stuff that wasn't getting met. Um, and you know, at the end of this whole thing, you'll hear about how getting into AA, how working the steps, how re restoring my connection with other human beings on this earth allows those needs to be met today in a way that like, I get to kind of have all of it. So um, you know, third grade, fourth grade, and make it to fifth grade. By the time I'm in fifth grade, I've like kind of 180'd. Um, I'm like the school's like computer guy. Um, so like I remember getting pulled out of class in fourth and fifth grade to kind of like fix computers and like um, I got a lot of recognition for that. It really kind of like set me up to be different. And this is another area in my story where you'll start to hear like, um, you know, I started to get a lot, derive a lot of my identity by being different, mostly by being better than. Um, so I changed the way I dressed, started dressing more kind of like adult. If you were to ask other fifth graders, they would have told you that I wore suits to school. <laughs> Never wore suits to school, but I definitely dressed like pretty preppy, kind of like how I saw my dad dressing. Um, and I was the one getting pulled out of class to help fix computers. So there was like a lot of stuff that like, you know, my ego was starting to build itself. This identity was start starting to build itself. Um, not all bad, but you know, it sort of set some stuff up. So. Um, Fifth grade rolls around and something pretty big happens in my life. I mean, maybe like not big. I mean, the really kind of like one of the pivotal moments and, and arguably like one of like the most kind of impactful pieces of my life ever. Um, so when I was in fifth grade, so I was had a teacher. She was a female teacher, um, and you know she would kind of have me after school to kind of help her with her computer. Um, and over a period of time, remember both my parents worked a lot. Um, I would hang out with her, hang out with her after school. I remember going to movies with her like on Fridays. Um, I remember you know, her letting me, we, she gave me some Zima, if you're old enough to know what Zima is. <laughs> now, I, but I was in fucking fifth grade. But, but Zima, I mean, so she would kind of like, you know, this is a teacher. Um, and you can probably imagine like where this story might, might end up. And it, and it certainly does go absolutely where you might think this winds up, where you know, this, she was really just kind of grooming me for, for a relationship with her, a sexual relationship with her. So um, I'm in the fifth grade, I'm 10 years old. Um, you can imagine a 10 year old in your life or somebody when you were like when you were 10, just imagine what that relationship would look like. And 
I think you would have no problem seeing that that was something that was completely inappropriate. Um, I didn't know that was inappropriate though at the time. For me, like, I'm a young boy, this kind of feels good, I don't really know, like I've kind of seen movies, I'm not really sure, but like, there's a part of this that like feels good, but I know I gotta keep this thing a secret. Um, and so I did, I kept it a secret for a really long time. And so I talk about that being a pivotal moment in my life. Um, now, my whatever happened to me is really no different than whatever happened to you. So that's my kind of impactful moment. And yeah, like we can pretty much all rally around like that's wrong, like that's not cool. Um, but my kind of, the stuff that happened to me is no different than whatever happened or didn't happen to you as a kid. I mean, everybody has, I believe, most likely, something that happened to them, whatever it was. Mom didn't love you, dad didn't love you, um, divorce, um, parent dies, major car crash, you know, I have a sponsee who was held at gunpoint in middle school, the event changed his life. So I mean, everyone kind of has their trauma and stuff that sets them up for, for life. Um, and I think definitely more so in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think we don't come here like as a result of life being like super, super great. Um, something happened. Um, and yeah, I'm absolutely like genetically predisposed to alcoholism and I absolutely have the disease and I absolutely have all that stuff. And that stuff was already kind of like working, but you put in some stuff like this and um, I'm like a ripe field to like let all this stuff start growing. So um, that was really the first time that I drank was with her, but like the first time, like if I describe my first time drinking and there's probably this difference because the first, like the time that feels safe to talk about first is not around her because that's a story that's like kind of gross. Um, but the first time that I really kind of like um, remember kind of like alcohol um, doing for me like what I could not do for myself and like providing me relief from that secret that I had and like those feelings that I might be too much for the world and all that stuff was in the sixth grade um, and Phil was there and, uh, <laughs> and we were over at our buddy Doug's house and um, Doug's parents were divorced, so we, you know, we kind of like go over to his mom's house, and I remember we drank Miller Genuine Draft, another beer that I don't think exists anymore. It came in a black can, um, had a gold top on it. Um, I remember exactly where I was. There was a fridge outside. That's where they kept the beer. I remember opening that beer the first time, taking a drink out of it, and just feeling like I had I had made it home. I had made it like home, like. If there was like a home or ever a place that I could feel like was but uh, I belonged, I felt like I had made it home. Um, so we set up like, you know, this kind of like romance or this like um, safety that I felt that alcohol provided. Um, later in life, it was so many more things. It meant, you know, it meant like the book said, conviviality and joy. And it meant a lot of connection and coolness and friends and all that stuff. But I think at that moment, like, it was just like a release from whatever, boredom, from worry, whatever, like I was good. Um, so, um, I mean, I feel like at that point, I'm pretty much effed, as we would say on the first step. Like, at that point, like, there's, I, I, I think I'd reached the point of no return at that point, right? So I was 10 years old, maybe 11, I don't know, sixth grade. Um, and I didn't get sober till I was 27. So there's some stuff that happened in those intervening years most of it just a lot of pain and a lot of like stuff getting piled on and really more ego building, more achievement, more stuff that can really kind of like keep me out of AA um, or keep me from getting sober or keep me from finding spiritual help. Um, and so, you know, 
what is some of that stuff? So, so I, you know, drank for the first time in, the, in, you know, like that in sixth grade. I mean, so by the time I'd reached high school, um, like drinking was kind of a part of my life. Um, I remember we held this poetry cafe sophomore year. I wasn't going to tell this story, but um, so like. I've always been kind of just like an artsy, creative, musical kind of guy. And you know, there's always been like, yeah, I was kind of a little bit of a beatnik, I guess. And so we had this, we had this poetry cafe for like <laughs> sophomore year of high school. So I can, I've met sophomores now that I'm, I guess, a grown up. And I like know what they're like. And I just like can't imagine that I had like this, whatever, this thoughts that I had. So for poetry cafe, which English was first period for us, which is like at seven in the morning or something like that. Um, we had to present like a poem or a song and we were going to like have this like informal poetry cafe like the, the invitation was to like bring like soda or something you know kind of like we kind of I think she I think we we're doing like drinks you know like drinks and so I thought like well like drinks you know we're, so like <laughs> so I remember I guess we had some way of getting liquor by that point because I had like a giant bottle of sky vodka like th this wasn't like stolen like liquor this was like our own. We had a fake idea, I guess. I'm pointing to Phil because he and I really like found ways to work the system, and we both had beards a long time. He's always looked a little older, but um, I mean, we were we were making we made our first fake we made our first fake IDs not to buy booze. We made them we made fake school IDs so that when we went on a cruise in the sixth grade, we could be eighth graders. We could go into the teen club. Like we were like. <laughs> So by the time we like knew about booze and it was time to make fake IDs for that, we had that stuff down. Um, so it's 7.30 in the morning, Cypress Creek High School, Northwest Houston, kind of the suburbs. Um, I'm rolling in with a backpack with Sky Vodka in it. Um, and I'm like, I'm not even like being like hiding this. Like I'm just like dr getting drunk like in, in first period. So. Um, you know, that was kind of like what was going on in my life by the time I reached high school. Like there was like, you know, I was, and I don't remember if I ended up blacking out that day. I did black out that day. Okay, so that was my first time ever blacking out was at school. I didn't understand what a blackout was. Um, but I just remember that day, <laughs> I made it home and just like didn't remember the second half of the day. Um, and um, people were like, yeah, I mean, you're like walking around, you're like out of class, like you were just doing stuff. Um, I was like, I don't remember any of that. Like, uh, like yeah, you, all this stuff was going on. Like, you, you, and you were doing it. And I was like, man, like, I just thought I, I don't actually know it. I just thought I went to sleep or something and woke up. Um, that was my first time blacking out, sophomore in high school. Um, also during that time, too, sophomore year, I found a way to change my grades and attendance. Um, and so... I, so I started doing that. There was also that happening. I kind of worked out a way where I could access the grade book. And um, so really like, I, which was great for me because by this point in my drinking career, school was starting to interfere with my drinking. Um, and, you know, going back, like if drinking is like my solution and like my like kind of cure to life and like I'm clinging to it, like it's the only thing I have, um, I'm gonna really do whatever I can to be able to keep drinking. Um, and really going to any links looked like me, you know, not doing anything fancy, but basically just manipulating a teacher and kind of hacking their computer a little bit to getting some passwords to be able to change my grades. Um, and I say that to say, um, I kept doing that, changed a bunch of other people's grades too, for the better, you know, I was like making grades better. Um, but 
Uh, nevertheless, total dishonesty, and um, I ended up getting caught for that my junior year. Yeah. I mean, it was gonna catch up to me at some point. I was like changing like D's to A's, and <laughs> I could change attendance too, so I just like wouldn't go, and then I'd be present. I'd kind of figured a lot of stuff out as far as that goes. But um, so I got kicked out of school, um, and you know, for me, who like very much staked my identity and my claim on like my outward appearance and still very much do and I still have to do work on it all the time. Like I am way too concerned with what y'all think about me um, or what I think y'all think about me. Um, but as a person who really like is really my outward appearance is super, super important. This getting kicked out of school was something that like really was gonna be hard to come back from because I had always, you know, we'd always kind of look down on the kids who got in trouble. You know, even though we were, I was drinking at school, there was, there was people who were worse than I was, um, which is something that, you know, the theme that kind of continues even until I got sober, that like somehow, like in my worst, I'm, there's always people who are worse and I can always compare somebody to worse. But getting out of kicked out of school was pretty impactful and, and was tough and, um, and really just kind of set me up to want to be done with high school and kind of get out of there as fast as I could. Um, so I did, I ended up like graduating early and um, there's a school you could go to to graduate early. Um, I went away to UT in Austin. I actually graduated valedictorian of my high school, probably because the, some of the, they didn't change all the grades back. Um, <laughs> but it was a small high school, so I like still didn't feel like it was that cool. But um, Anyways, when you're valedictorian, they'll pay for your first year of college at any state school. So I went to UT and they paid for my college. Um, but I never went to class, failed out of there pretty quickly. Um, and I was drinking and doing drugs the entire time I was there. Um, because those were my like solution to life. And though that was like the thing that gave me kind of entree to the older kids at school, you know what I mean? Like, I felt a lot of like pride having, you know, seniors come over to my place and like I was like showing them like, you know, I had this whole like bar set up and I had like all these like really cool drugs to do and, um, you know, it, it, it meant connection. And so, um, UT, and so really like at this point now, we're kind of in like my early 20s and, um, the UT door kind of gets closed. Um, I start kind of getting the vibe that I might have a problem. Um, I remember like I'd kind of gotten just kind of messed up on various different chemicals and things like that and called my mom in Houston one day. I was like, I was told her I wanted to kill myself and um, she got really worried about that. I think I was really just like crying out for help, like crying really more for kind of like attention and I don't, but I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, but she came to Austin, because I was living in Austin, and, and took me to, you know, their, my first psych ward. Um, I didn't know it was a psych ward um, until, like, they talked about, like, you know, well, we need to keep you. Um, and that's when my story changes. Like, I was just kidding, it's not real. Like, you know what I mean? But there's like a police officer there with like a mental health warrant. I'm like negotiating my way out of that. But, <laughs> but I negotiated my way out of that. Because that's what I did, that's like, that's what I staked my claim on, was that I like had the power to tell you or convince the world that it was okay. And I don't know if I convinced you, but I wore you out. Um, so, that's what I did. 
and it's it's absolutely funny, right? It's laughable when I look back on it, but on the inside, I had so much going on on the inside that I couldn't match the outside. It was like, you know, like I feel all this inner turmoil, you know, um, and I I can't share that with you because I have this secret of what happened when I was a kid that might come out. Um, I don't really know how to talk about my feelings. Don't really have a language for that. And like, don't feel like I should be struggling because like arguably I have a pretty good life. Like I don't really deserve to struggle. Um, so I'm just gonna like try to convince you that everything's okay so you'll get off my back because really my main goal is just to kind of like keep my solution going, which is drugs and alcohol. Um, and like, we'll figure the rest out later. Um, and I think figuring the rest out later like worked for a while um, until I like became an adult and was driving around in society and like, misbehaving as an adult in society and not being a good member of society. And ultimately that landed me in jail a couple times. Um, I mean, many times in jail, but like a couple of like charges and things like that. But um, it's through, so kind of the circumstances don't matter, but um, with, if I look back on it, what I would see are that um, I was needing more. At this point, stuff had piled on. I've got the shame of like not being a part of it. I didn't get to finish high school with my friends, right? I loved my friends in high school. Like they were like there for me. They didn't know all the stuff that was going on with me, but like at least they were there. Um, didn't get to finish school with them. Didn't get to do school with my friends who went to college, right? Like that was something I'd always wanted to do. I, my sister, like I watched her like do really well in school and everybody else, cousins, family, like they were all doing good. Like why not, why can't I get this thing? Um, so I was needing more of whatever, drugs and alcohol, drinking, um, to change the way I feel. The pain was escalating, and so it was taking more substance to kind of give that relief. Um, and I have no solution. Like, I have no spiritual solution. Um, I remember doing like young life in high school, and like was raised kind of in like a kind of Christian tradition and all that. And like, I remember hearing those guys tell me like, you know, like like we can solve your problems. And, um, and then my problems didn't get solved. And um, now that's because I wasn't doing any of the work and like I didn't have any, like I wasn't participating, but the message I took away was like, none of that stuff works. Um, and so I kind of got let down. And so I was kind of turned my back on God and turned my back on that, but there was still some belief, right? And I, like, I believe today, like deep down in every man, woman, and child is like some conception of God, right? Like talk about knowing the difference between right and wrong, like okay, you have some idea of God. Um, and so I'm, you know, again, feeling real, like, less than, real different, because not everybody that I grew up with got arrested all the time. Um, not everybody in the world gets arrested all the time. There's more people not in jail than there are in jail. So clearly, <laughs> something's wrong with me. Something's different. Um, and, and on a last-ditch effort to keep me out of, like, long-term time in jail, um, my dad came up with this idea, like maybe we present to the judge, cause you know, that's my whole angle and everything in life is like, how do I like manipulate and control? Um, let's present to the judge that, you know, you'll go to treatment, which I would do, and uh, maybe they'll, he'll kind of like give you, he won't send you to jail. Um, so he sent me to jail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, when you get out, you can go to treatment. Um, and so, um, so I did, and so that was outpatient treatment, and um, and that's where I first got to talk about what happened when I was a kid, and I got introduced to therapy, and I got introduced to all that stuff, and 
And I think that was kind of the beginning of kind of like that spiritual door kind of opening up for me. It was like having somebody pay to kind of like just fully focus on me. Um, and um, but I wasn't ready to stop stop drinking. So um, that's where I learned how to lie about my sobriety date. Was in outpatient treatment. It's like as long as they're not drug testing me and I can like manipulate everybody really really well. Like I can just keep a sobriety date and then people will chill out. But I'm staying at my parents' house and coming home on like a Monday night, like reeking of weed. Like the sobriety date thing might not work out. So. Um, Ended up going to inpatient treatment. Um, I'm not knocking inpatient treatment, but I stayed sober for 42 days in inpatient treatment and got drunk at the airport leaving. So um, I just wasn't ready. And um, again, came back to Houston, lied about my sobriety date, moved into sober living, kind of did whatever I could to kind of like get some stuff back for my parents, um, but wasn't just definitely not ready. And so. Um, you know, the book talks about cycle of addiction, talks about doctor's opinion, page 28, you know, that like as, when I'm sober, I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. Like that's like my like baseline state. And if like you haven't picked that up at this point, that like Mike was probably rolling around in the world, restless, irritable, and discontented, afraid, prey to misery, and depression, bedevilments, all that kind of stuff. I was, I absolutely was that. Um, and though, 42 days in treatment, going to meetings every day, um, IOP groups talking about myself, um, the kind of seeing other people recover, um, started to kind of open the door for me that there might be a solution. And so there started to be a little bit of a break in that cycle for me, um, where you know the cycle of rest, irritable, and discontent, first drink or drug, you know, well-known stages of a spree, firm resolution to quit. I had lots of firm resolutions to quit, um, but I would still end up, you know, doing it again the next day. Um, I wanted to not be able to do drugs for like a period of time, or drink and drink for a period of time. Um, like I really, really wanted to. I wanted to do it for my parents. I wanted to do it for my family members. Uh, I really wanted to do it for a lot of other people. And I think I also wanted to do it for me too. I wanted to like maybe experience life without it, um, but presented with like no other solution, like maybe a better solution or a sufficient substitute, you could say, like I was gonna keep on drinking no matter what. So, um, kind of the intervening years after getting out of treatment and the time I basically until I got sober. Um, what happened was my life got like okay like some of the stuff started working for me like spirituality and like an idea of god started to come into my mind and kind of things slowed down um i started doing some stuff that i think probably kept me alive for those years um you know i was like doing yoga and like eating better and doing all that stuff it's like doing all these other solutions like i'm just gonna like you know not drink at home and like i'm only gonna drink on the weekends and like you know i'm only gonna like smoke weed after five and um <laughs> And that kept me alive, you know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, there was, the program worked whether I was working it or not. It just didn't work completely. And it wasn't gonna be sustainable and it wasn't gonna work forever. Um, and I really, I think, learned that out there. That like, you know, I look at myself when I was kind of half in and half out. And I look at sponsees that I work with who are kind of half in and half out. And I think that I was just stuck in that kind of like in-between zone. Um, and like, I think that, that happens in here. I think that's very common to like, kind of get a little bit of the solution, but just like not be quite ready to do it yet. Um, and um, 
So ultimately, what happened was I was subleasing apartment from an apartment from a friend. Had like a month left on the lease when I moved in. <laughs> it's like, it's like, think about that for a second. So I like moving into a place with one month left. But that's like, if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic like I am, like that makes total sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, that's a month. That's a whole month. Like, who knows what's happening a month from now? Like, I just need a place to sleep tonight. Um, and in that apartment, I was still seeing a therapist who, like, was very much a guy who always pushed me back to the 12 steps. And, like, you know, the book talks about seeking outside help. Like, I've heard people that I really trust. It's like, you're probably messing up in here if you're not talking to somebody outside of the program and getting some of that stuff looked at. Um, and so, and I, do, I think that's the 12 steps are the 12 steps and absolutely are, like, the solution. And so, um, you know, if you go to therapy, find a therapy, a therapist who supports the 12 steps and doesn't like try to like life coach you out of AA and like, no, you can just, you know, all that other stuff. Um, if you stuck around this long, you probably, you know, you may be an alcoholic, I don't know. Anyway, so one month left on an apartment lease. Um, I get this idea that like the end of this lease means something. There's something, there's some meaning in this. Like I might have to be like, and the meaning is like my parents are telling me like, well, you can't move in with us. Like I'd already tried living with my sister who had kicked me out. Like I just tried kind of sleeping on the friends' couches who'd all be like, yeah, like this isn't really working out. Um, so I think the meaning that was happening at the end of that month was that like I was going to be homeless at the end of this month. Um, like I was going to have nowhere to go. And um, so that's when like this kind of the firm resolutions to quit really kind of like amped up. And it was like, hey, like tomorrow, like not gonna, like all day. And then like the next day, not gonna all day. And tomorrow would come and like, and I would wake up sober, like as sober as I was ever gonna be. Um, and I could make it for some time through that day, but I couldn't not put whatever it was in my body. And it was like the time I, I think I, I finally realized like what everybody had been saying all along, like a couple years in and out of AA, like treatment, therapy, all that stuff, and I'd heard it so many times, and it was just never me. And in that time in that apartment, that little drug cave apartment, um, it was me. And, um, and the crazy part is, and the beautiful part about being an alcoholic is like, I'll still question that. I'd be like, I was like, I knew, I knew I had the problem, but I was like, you know what? Like, we'll see. So the lease runs out. I work my way into a sober living house. Needs to have, I need to have two weeks sober to move in. I really need to have a month to move in, but like, we negotiate it. Um, <laughs> of course, because I'm so good. You only knew. Um, and so I had like a real reason to stay sober. It was like I had nowhere else to go. Like I had kind of a goal of like, I need to at least get two weeks so I can move into this place. My parents will kind of like hold me on a contingency for two weeks. and. Um, Man, I went way more on the early part of the story, but oh well. Um, so I talk about like, you think, okay, I wake up every day not wanting to do this, but I do it anyways, and like, you think that would be enough, right? No. So like May 24th is like gonna be my first day sober, and I'm like at my, going to my parents' house, like I'm just gonna go for a drive. I go to the grocery store and buy some beer. You know, I, I go buy a vape first because I like had learned about vaping in the room. So, you know, I picked that up. And then, <laughs> and then I went and bought some beer and drank one. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I re like I'm doing this thing. Like, I have like, we've set, I've set all this stuff up. Like, this is, I'm not doing this. And so 
I asked myself, what am I doing? And it was the first time in my life that, like, I, I guess God intervened and was like, dude, like, you know, there's, a, there's honesty. Like, honesty is available to you at this moment. Like, and, like, you can do honesty. Mike, I can do honesty. And, like, maybe people won't abandon you. Because, like, at this point, like, it doesn't really get much lower than this emotionally, right? Like, talking about, like, an emotional bottom from within. Um, I'd reached that bottom where really the only place was up. And honesty suddenly became an option for me. And so I texted uh, my therapist and said, hey, I've got this beer. Like, what do I do? He's like, pour it out. Send me a picture when you're done. Um, like, all right, pouring out beer. You know what I mean? Um, that was May 24th. So May 25th, 2015 was my first day sober. Um, it's funny because a couple days later, I like was up late, you know, I was like, let me set up a PO box, you know? So, cause I like to have drugs mailed to me, like from the internet, it used to be a thing you can do. Uh, so let me just set up a PO box. Like I don't need one now, um, but I might in the future. And what that was, was that, that discomfort that I felt sober. I was three days sober and didn't know how, I was probably crawling out of my skin more or less. And there was some part of my disease or my mind that was saying like, dude, like, you don't need to do this today, but like at least have a plan in case you want to set this thing up in the future. So I did that, set up the PO box. But honesty was an option at this point because I was at my absolute bottom. And so the next day, by this point, I had a sponsor. And so I texted my sponsor. You get a text, you know, new, newly sober text, everything. Um, <laughs> I did this thing. Calls me right back, Michael. I think that was a phone call. I think you should think that one deserved a phone call. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. So I basically told him myself, right? Honesty was an option. And so I think, you know, like the gateway to this whole thing for me was being willing to start sharing about like those plans and designs that I would have, like those ideas that I would have about like whatever. And that is still a hundred percent applicable today, right? Like when I'm like working up a, you know, some shady deal, like, hey man, like I think I can consult for people on the side and all this stuff and like, you know, honesty. Honesty is on the table. Um, and so um, moved into sober living, right? Lived in sober living two and a half years. It's way too long for an adult male to be living in sober living. Like, it is and it isn't. Um, so it was a great training ground for me because I came in like an emotional like eight-year-old. Um, I needed to learn how to live among people and like learn how to like let people be people. And like, man, that guy like does his own thing, but like he's just going to do his own thing, Mike. Like, what are you going to, what am I going to do? It's like, well, I'm just going to like keep doing my thing. So a great lesson for me. And like, I'm a huge supporter of like that if it's supportive to you um, and if it's not it's not but I did um, I got three months sober I remember going to I got really involved in one of the thing kind of the big kind of cruxes of like my early recovery because I didn't really sponsor people in the beginning and I like kind of worked the steps just sort of transactionally but I think the ways that I got introduced to the areas of the program and started to kind of like get the steps active in my life and be a participant in the program was through service um, so I got involved with an AA committee, Young People's AA committee, kind of got involved in bid committee life. Um, I think what drew me in was that like, I could have like a position and can feel important. Um, and I think like my skills as a mediator applied there. Um, and I kind of like just like watching kind of like the bloodbath that would happen at committee meetings, I think more or less. Um, and um, I remember going to the International Convention of Young People in AA in Miami in 2015. 
and walking down like South Beach with my roommate from Sober Living, like being like, Are we, is this really happening? Like for like three months sober, and like they like we're like in Florida, like we're in Miami, like this is what's happening. Um, but it was, and it was like, it was there that I found kids who were younger than me who had more time than I did by like years and like leaps and bounds and had recovery and had like answers and had things like going on in their life and actually like worked this program like it meant something and had really, really good sponsors and traditions and things to follow. Um, and so I think that was something that kind of made the program attractive for me and I found that like there could be a place for me in this program. Um, and I think that's what drew me in. Um, absolutely, I know that's what drew me in. And so was on a committee, we ended up bringing TexiPod to Houston, we had it here in 2017, and so like really the first few years of my sobriety were organized around going to school, working, worked full-time, went to school full-time, um, and organizing this conference. Um, like that kind of like kept me going. I sort of stayed sober by staying busy and hanging around sober people. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I was in connection with my sponsor, was seeing that therapist, was doing service, living in sober living, Service and, and, you know, AA was all over my life. I just wasn't really working in kind of like a very deliberate way. Um, I was pretty insulated. Um, had I been living on my own at home in an apartment with just me and a dog, like I might have needed more stuff, but like my life was pretty surrounded and pretty inundated. Um, it was when I moved out of sober living and moved out on my own and that conference wasn't a thing anymore that I had to like learn how to do this thing like on my own and like learn how to walk in this program not to like, not so much and just not even, not drink anymore, but like that's absolutely why I have to work this program, but like to walk through life in a way that I'm happy, joyous and free, loving life and have something to offer in this world. Like in love with me and in love with you. Um, and able to see you or pe as people who are just fellow travelers on this journey who like, you know, have your own stuff. Um, that it's not like you against me, it's like really just like us in this thing together. Um, to do that though, I had to have to work the steps and I have to, had to get like a, a new sponsor and like um, I got a new, actually a new sponsor this year who took me through the steps in a completely different way than I ever knew um, and introduced me to the, you know, kind of the spiritual disciplines and working out of the book directly and um, just kind of a, a new level of AA um, and that's been really, really good for me and um, I look back at like, you know, where I am today and like who I am, like I look at this thing, Mike, like I drove here tonight, like I have a house, like I have a really cool job, like there's, there's all these like material boxes that are checked, like absolutely. But I look around my life, like where am I actually right now in my life? Like, well, I'm feeling some sadness because my grandpa's in the hospital, right? Like somebody I'm super, super close with, um, he's in hospice, he's on his way out. But like I get to go and see him like whenever I want, and like I have, there's like my family wants me there, and there's like I can roll down there with my sister, and we can just be there and be with Grandpa, and we can just be there for each other. Like both my parents are kind of transitioning in their careers and in their lives as parents and grandparents, and like I just get to call them up, and we just get to hang out. Um, I have friends in my life and people in my life that like are there, you know? Our paths go like this, we're not always in each other's lives, but we're absolutely there. Um, and I'm somebody who, when I'm in front of them, when we're presented with the opportunity to connect, and like, you know, 
for the most part, 100% me. The me that I was kind of always before I piled on all that stuff and all the things happened. And I learned all that stuff about who I needed to be. Um, so, like if I was absolutely new in this program, what would I want to hear? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do know this. Like, wherever you are in your program, like two days or 20 years, whatever it is, like if you're two days, you don't have to drink or do drugs anymore. Like absolutely, like you don't have to do it anymore. Like there's absolutely a way out and there's people in this room who will show you the way um, and will let honesty be an option for you. And like even though we oftentimes have judgmental faces, but that's just our resting faces, <laughs> behind that is just a, a like a sea of empathy and understanding. Um, and one of the best lessons I've learned and I'm learning in this program is like never to judge a book by its cover or a person by their outside appearance because there's so much more going on underneath it. Um, and so if I was new, I would just say, hey, like everybody who looks scary is actually cool and the cool people are cool too. Um, and, uh, and if you've got like 20 years or 200 years, um, <laughs> You know, if, 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 like, I don't know where you might be, but if you're not feeling like you've got, like, 100% to give, if there's something, like, holding you back from being in front of somebody and just fully being able to give yourself to that person and just kind of be with there for them, my invitation would be, like, look at what look at what you might have to do. Like, maybe it is a new sponsor. Maybe it is, like, reworking the steps. Or, like, maybe some of those amends you never made. Like, maybe that's the key, right? Like, the ninth step, how free do you want to be? Um, maybe check that out. But, um... I know this. I told Phil, I was like, if I could just like take acid and smoke weed successfully, I wouldn't have to be here. Um, <laughs> which is like, if I think about it, it's like such a lame proposition, right? Like that, that was like my highest aspiration in life. Like, I just like, like, um, and I've had a lot of people die in my life. This is gonna be the life kind of talk about this and I'll be done. But I've had a lot of kind of, I had a really, really close friend die, spiritual mentor of mine, guy in the program, had a lot of years, die real suddenly, right? Like um, I had my own kind of battle, battle, like small battle with cancer this year where like I had cancer and they were able to treat it and I didn't have to have like a lot of major treatment, but got introduced to like the world of cancer. Um, so I had to look death in the eye. Um, lost a sponsee, right? Like was working with a guy and then he, um, you know, didn't make it before he made it, um, died. Um, so I got a lot of like that, right? But I think the beauty in all that is that, um, you know, like really this is it. Like this is your only life. Like stop waiting for the future life is the lesson that I've learned this year. It's like, no, this is really it. Like, really, I'm put on this earth to just love people and just be, right? Talk about my family. Talk about my sister. Talk about my niece and nephew and the connections and the friendship relationships that I have. Like, that's really all I have. Like, what I rolled up in and what I'm driving home in, like, doesn't matter. Where I eat, where I buy my, none of that stuff actually matters. Um, so that's the biggest lesson I've learned. But it's 100% a result of me getting sober. Like, had to, had to get sober first to make that happen. Had to be able to be willing to get honest with somebody else and be honest with myself about where I am. Look at my past, face that stuff fearlessly. Um, be willing to clean it up every day. Um, that's, like, the maintenance stuff that makes it happen. Um, yeah, and then just, like, the rest, just chill out and give it to God. And, you know, um, 
be kind to people. So that's it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Yeah.